Today's first reading is on page 1043 of the Pew Bibles. We will read uh, Psalm 51, verses 1 to 6. I begin. For the director of music, a psalm of David. When the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight? So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. This is the word of the Lord. Today's sermon reading is on page 921 of your Bible, and we'll read Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through to 11. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have, may have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. This is the word of God the Lord. We'd like to uh, welcome each one of you who have been able to join us here in person, as well as each one of you who are joining us on Zoom today. For those on Zoom, thank you for making the effort. For those of you who've been able to come, thank you also for making the effort to be with us today. Um, we love to be together, 
That's part of what God describes in his Bible in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where it describes how a church functions. And it says they gathered to listen to the teaching of the apostles, or in our day, time, and space, that would be we listen to the Bible, God's word. It says also they gathered to pray. And then thirdly, they also gathered to break bread, or what we will do at the end of this, or after the sermon, we will have communion together remembering what Jesus did on the cross and what he has done for us. And then fourthly, it says, and then they fellowshiped, or they came together to share as Christians one with another. And there is this what happens, maybe we call it the family of God, or we express it in different manners, but there is this moment when we come together from many nations, many backgrounds, many different personalities, and yet the commonness between us, the link, that which holds us together, is the fact that God himself, in the presence of his Holy Spirit, lives within us, and God has made us into his family. So, we love having you all come, and uh, if anyone's here today who has not met me or my wife, that's the really nice one over there with the silver white hair Um, compared to the one who has let's not go any further with that description Um, anyway we would love to meet you and uh, if you come and introduce yourself it helps us know how to pray for you better and um, so thank you for being here also today I would like us to begin for the next five weeks a sermon series, a short one, on the chapter of the book of Romans, chapter 8. It is one of the probably most famous but also most meaningful chapters in all of the New Testament and certainly probably in all of the Bible. But it's specifically aimed to help us understand how we live as a Christian life how eternal life functions in us today, leading us up to an eternity with God in His presence. You see, God's Spirit in us is God then working in and through our hearts, the very deepest person of who we are, to not only to forgive us and to cleanse us from all sin, as it says, and to bring forgiveness into our life, to bring us into God and God into us, but also God's Spirit leads us and guides us. It is like as if we are a mold and and God's Spirit kind of pours us into this mold to help form us, to shape us. Or it reminds me of the account in Genesis chapter 24 where Abraham sends his servant to find a wife for his son, Isaac. And the servant journeys, and he comes to some distant but somewhat close relatives, and he finds this daughter who seems to be the ideal bride for the son of his master, Abraham. And if you read that account, maybe this afternoon as you're relaxing over coffee or tea, you will find that in Genesis chapter 24, 
the servant says, this is why I have come. I am seeking this, a wife for my, my uh, master's son. And then there's a discussion between the relatives, and then eventually they say, I think it's of God. She should go with you to marry this man. And then they eventually say, well, ask her. And the woman says, I will go. Now, why do I mention that account? Well, you see, the servant does not leave her and say, you know what? Thank you for saying yes. Now, here's our address. It's a tent over these many mountains, these many hills, that many days in the desert. And when you get there, we'll be there. No, 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 no. The servant gathers her and takes her and every day leads her until he brings her to the man Isaac in the son of the father that she can be his bride forever. As God places his Holy Spirit in our life, it is somewhat similar. God does not just say, okay, I have saved you or I have made you alive in God. You are born of God and we will see you when you come into eternity. No, no, no. God places his spirit in us that his spirit will lead us, guide us, direct us, convict us, show us again and again that we are a child of God and lead us from this moment when we come to him as him being our savior and our born of God until eternity. And then it gets better. And chapter 8 describes some of this. So we want to look at that. And of course there it says, Now therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It's really hard to start preaching in Romans chapter 8. Because it's almost like the middle chapter of the book of Romans. It's kind of a conclusion of everything that's gone before and a bridge to everything that comes thereafter. You know, the first three chapters, God has described the greatness of his message to mankind, but also for three chapters, he describes, he identifies, he talks about sin. And of course, 3.23 says, then all have sinned. He basically comes to the point of saying, every man and woman and child is without excuse because we know we have seen. And then chapters 4 and 5, he talks about faith. How we can respond to God in faith. And God sees what is happening in our heart. And he responds to us. And then chapter 6 is this concept of us being identified with Christ. It says we die with him as God sees Jesus going to the cross. And we, our sins, are identified with him dying in our place. So we die in that sense with him. He dies taking our place. But then it says, and we live like he was resurrected from the dead. And then chapter 7 talks about this real life of God in us, but still living in a real human body. Not yet in the glorified body or not yet in his presence. And so in that, then he reminds us 
that this is our situation of no condemnation. But so we don't miss what happened just before. Let me read to you the last couple verses of chapter 7. And he says, so I find it to be a law that I want to do the right, but evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my innerest being, but I see in my body or my members another law waging war against the law <clears throat> excuse me, of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this? For in myself I serve the law of God with my mind, but I find my flesh wanting to serve the law of sin. Can anyone identify with that? I want to serve God, and at the same time I find this inside that makes me want to do something else. To help us understand, the concept of law that they're speaking about here is not simply the Ten Commandments or a list of do's and don'ts. What he's using here, he says, this law in the flesh, this law of God, not just the Ten Commandments, but that which controls in our life, that to which we respond. It's like, um, I've noticed when people have been so kind to give us a, a, a ride up the hill where we live, there's a 50-kilometer spot, and there's a 30-kilometer spot. And you know, they slow up at the 30-kilometer spot. It's like a stop sign, isn't it? You see, the stop sign is not just the fact that we have a conscience that says we should not drive through it, but it's actually the contone is responsible to make certain we don't. But the whole Swiss government also has the authority behind it. You see, what he's saying there is there are all of these powers and authorities behind a law. And this law he's describing is that authority, that control. I think our New International has described it as under the control of either God or our human nature. And that is what Paul is describing, this battle within. And he says the first thing to remember is that in that condition, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The word condemnation is not something like in 2022 where you may hear someone saying, oh, you're judging me. Oh, you're being judgmental. And meaning that you have a bad attitude towards me. And if you just understood me, you would understand how wonderful and how very right I am. It's, but it does not mean this here. What it means is the judge has looked specifically at the evidence of our case. And he's looked at the history and everything. And after he finds and follows the facts, we are guilty. But what he's saying here is because that guilt has been transferred to Jesus, we are no longer guilty. We're forgiven. And there's no condemnation. And let me just say to you, should evil come and begin to condemn you and say, well, but you're not, you're not, you're this. And it could be a correct challenge. 
But we need to remember this as Paul is writing, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Could you, I know this is very non-Swiss, would you tolerate me being a little more American this morning? Let's hope. Would you be really willing to turn to your neighbor and say, the Bible says there is no condemnation if you are in Christ Jesus? Would you be willing to do that? I know it's very abnormal, but would you? Oh. That. Now, if you forget everything else that is ever said or sung or prayed or done today, would you lock that into your memory? And the first time evil comes and says, you're not good enough. Could you just repeat those words? Now, therefore, there is no condemnation. It is moved. And then in verses 2 and 3, what Paul does is God's Holy Spirit inspires him to write. He talks to us, or he gives us not only the truth in verse 1, but how it is possible that we can live without condemnation. And look what he says. For the law of the spirit of life, or this controlling of the spirit of life, has set you free in Christ Jesus, or in our New International, because in Christ Jesus, the spirit of life has set you free from the law of the sin and death. Wow. You see, that idea of being set free is the concept that God has now declared us no longer guilty. But in Christianity, sometimes we have taken that, and if you study the history of Christianity, sometimes they come and say, well, I am free. Therefore, I can do whatever I want. I can live and I know and I can say this because I am free. But you know what Paul has said. Let me read to you in chapter 6, just a few verses before, how he describes being free in Christ. It says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient to the heart and the standard of the teaching to which you were committed. So you begun to live like what you say and know you believe. And having been set free from sin... You have become slaves of righteousness. And let me read two verses down. Leading to more lawless. Now present yourself as members, as slaves to righteousness. Leading to the progressive development or sanctification of God in your life. So what he's saying is. Oh, you know, I'm so old. I remember when Bob Dylan went through his conversions experiences. A real rocker. You probably, none of you remember him. I wouldn't even encourage you to Google him, but there was a moment when he seemed to have a conversion or a changing moment in his life. During those years, I think it was in 79, he wrote a song called, You Gotta Serve Somebody. And the chorus was, You've gotta serve somebody, You've gotta serve somebody, Either the devil or the Lord shocked the rock world. And he went through and listed all different types of people. 
from the highest to the lowest in status, from the wisest to the ones who are challenged. You've got to serve somebody. Here's what he is saying. Is this freedom is. You move from being a slave. Now that is a Greek word saying doulos. It's not just somebody who's locked in, 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 in chains. No, 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 no. There's another word for that. This is the word for a person who's been a slave, a servant. And the master has come to them and said, I will make you a free person. And the slave has said, no, I choose to remain, whether he had family or he really wanted to serve. And what they did, I always thought it was really interesting, they would take them to the center marketplace. They would read out, you know, Dennis has been a slave to whomever for these number of years, but now he has been offered his freedom to be a free man, but he has chosen to remain a slave. And they would take your ear and put it against a wooden post and had a big awl or punch, and it would poop through and take a piece of your ear out. So you could always walk and see who is a doulos, a person who was offered freedom and chose to serve. What he's saying here is you have been given freedom in Christ. It's not to say, well, now I decide what is true. Now I decide what is right and what is wrong for me. Now I redefine sin differently than God does. No, it is saying, I now commit myself to live this life under the control, authority, and God leading me. Can you imagine that? God, his Holy Spirit, leading us every day and moment of our life. I don't know how it gets much better than that. I suppose eternity but God leading us. And so he says that to us. Therefore, you've been free. Could I just ask you a very searching question? In your spiritual experience with God, how free are you? Really? Take a moment, a millisecond. Just appear into your soul. How free are you? The place of freedom and for us as believers is we choose no longer here but to be under control of God through his indwelling Holy Spirit. And so he goes on to that in the next verses as we look at not only how is that then possible, it says by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, he condemns sin in the flesh. So the very fact that we say, therefore there is no condemnation to us because God has forgiven us because Jesus has come and he has condemned sin. He has walked through sin, taken all of the guilt of sin upon himself that you and I can be forgiven and declared no longer guilty and therefore no condemnation. That's why I love that word propitiation. I know for some it's a hard word, it's a theological word, but what it means is that the, the judgment, the wrath, whatever was against us has been settled. And the reason I love the word is, do you know how much it costs God to forgive us? It cost him his son. Of course, the son was willing, and he went. But an amazing love of God demonstrated to us. 
Now, verse 4 begins to move us from that of why it's possible. He says, in order that the righteousness establishment of the law might be fulfilled in us. This fulfilling means to just fill us up till we bubble over. But if you look back again at the lexicon, what it will tell you, this idea of fulfilling righteousness, it actually means that God once again like the judge, has looked at our our court case, has looked at our lives, has studied the facts, has evaluated it all, and come to the decision because what we had done against God has been placed on Jesus, that because it's there in his love and in his holiness, in the very righteousness of God, can declare us no longer condemned, no longer guilty. Wow. So Paul's trying to say the same thing, it sounds like, many, many times, doesn't he? But then he goes on and says, not according to those who walk. And to walk here means not just for a walk through the woods or down the sidewalk. It means the way one lives life. We still say that in English. I walk through life. This is the way I do it. And so he is led in that manner. The way we walk through our life, he says, is that with our minds on the things of the Spirit or being controlled by, it says in the New International, being controlled by either the human nature or being controlled by the Spirit. And the reason it says this is this concept of to set one's mind, actually in the Greek it's just a word for mind, but as you go back actually again to the the way they define it, they say the reason that the translators have used these different words is we in English have no one similar word to describe it. Because it means when one sets one's mind, it's not just a cognitive, it is that, it's thinking, it's using logic, it's understanding truth, it's using knowledge, but it says it means more than that. It means also it's setting our will, so it's what we know, and it's what we desire in our will. But then it says it's not only cognitive, it's visceral. It's what we really feel from the depth. And so what he's saying here is when you set your mind, when you really make a decision, not just because it makes sense here, but because it's here in your heart and it's in the very depth of your person, says, people who set their mind on the Spirit, then they walk that way. But he says there's only two choices. One sets one's mind. You see, the mind is not neutral. We cannot go through life just thinking, I take the middle of every road. What the mind is saying here and what Paul is describing is either we set our minds, we make those choices on God, or we make them on our own control. And then he goes on in the next verses to tell us why that is so important. He said, for the mind set on the flesh or being controlled by human nature leads to death, but the mind on the spirit leads to life and peace. For the mind that is set in the, or controlled by the flesh, listen to this, it's hostile to God. This is some of the most clear, direct writings that we will find. That there is no way for a person to say, I am here, when they are living here. Remember John and 1 John wrote in 
We use the concept that he would say, if someone says, I am walking in the light, but his deeds are here, then he's not walking in truth. He's actually living a lie. And Paul seems to come back with this again very strongly. You see, the way one lives life, as he says, you walk either in the spirit being controlling our life or otherwise we walk with the human nature, I, me, myself, controlling our life. But he said this will eventually lead to death. This leads to eternal life. And you see, eternal life is not a certificate. It begins as God enters us, but it continues to eternity as God's Holy Spirit leads us and guides us and directs us. So he says, not only is the life of our own hostile to God, so it's attacking God, it says it cannot submit itself to the law of God, and even more than that, just can't do it, and it doesn't please God. There is no way he is just shutting the door. It's not just that Paul is saying, well, you know, you can have a bit of this, and you can have a bit of that, or if you're 20% here and 80% here. Now, that doesn't mean that a person doesn't make mistakes. Chapter 7, he's all about, what do I do about the struggle I have here? And there is a real struggle. But what he's saying again and again is at that point, we turn to God, the Spirit, who's living in us. That word to dwell means he actually literally takes up his home in us. He's moved in. <laughs> Isn't that a cool deal? I know you see how many articles in the paper, and I don't know how sometimes families move out and they study and they work and then they have to, to get on with life, move back in. It's actually a beautiful experience. But you see, what he's saying is self and guilt have moved out and the Spirit of God has moved in. Is that what we experience? Because that's what Paul says. And why he goes on, let's just look in verses 9, 10, and 11, those last verses that we're considering today. And he says to them the reason for this. He says, however, you're not under the control of the of the human nature, but under the control of the Spirit, he says, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. He has not only built his argument in saying there's no condemnation, and God has sent his Son to die for you, therefore it is, and we know that we can because then God's Spirit is living in us. Here he comes and says, a watershed description and identity is Either the Spirit of God lives in us or not. But the awesome struggling part of that verse is, is he goes on and he says, and those who have the Spirit of God living in them belong to God. But if the Spirit of God is not living in us, we really need to take a moment and search or allow God, better said, to search our souls. Now, I don't mean, and I want to be very careful here, because someone might say, oh, pastor, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel that way. I don't have all of those bubbly things going on in my life. 
No, no, it's not about the bubbly. It's about the reality. Is there that moment when you know I'm consciously choosing to do wrong, you hear the voice of God? Maybe you shouldn't say that. Don't do this. Or is there something else where you come and, and this voice of God is coming and say, this, this way. You need to go back to that relative or you need to speak to this person. Or this is God's will for your life. God speaking. Because what he says to us is those in whom God is living, dwelling, is in you. Then he says we belong to God. But anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ in him does not belong to him. And oh, It reminds me just now of that verse I would say, if there's anything I could do to reach out my arms and say to you, I want you to understand the indwelling of God. I cannot experience that for you in myself. Each individual needs to experience that reality. It reminds me of Jesus, it says, when he sat on the Mount of Olives, And he looked at Jerusalem and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if I could, I would gather you in my arms like a hen gathers her chicks. He loved them. And yet he knew they had a choice to either serve this or to follow him. But then he goes on and says even more in verse 10, But if Christ is in us, the body that is dead because of sin and all of these things he was talking about in chapter 7. I wish I could and I struggle with this. He says, but even if that is where we're living today, that he who lives in us, who raised Jesus from the dead, think of that. You know that prayer we talked about in one of the early weeks that we were here that Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 to 23 as he gets down to the three things he would ask us to pray for each other, and then he wants us to know, he says, the hope of God's calling in your life, the riches of God in your life, and then he finally says, and the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead be real in you. Oh my. God is serious about this. And he's saying, if this Christ, this spirit lives in you, that raised Jesus from the dead. All I can say is, I have problems. But that's the great problem. Isn't it? And if that same spirit that lives in us has the power to raise Jesus from the dead, then certainly he can take care of all that face us and this idea of walking with God. And knowing that his spirit is in us and there's no condemnation is incredibly important. He says there, and we even know in verse 11, that this one who raised Christ from the dead on the final day raises us as well. And the greatness of God. So in closing, let me just say this. God's Holy Spirit is living in you. And Paul has written, that is the final thing that confirms. Is we belonging to God or not yet? In the first chapter of Ephesians, he describes that and he says, I take my wedding ring off because he describes that. He says the Holy Spirit that God gives us as we're born again is like an engagement ring 
When Lois and I got engaged in Austria, actually there the custom was you put the engagement ring on the left hand. And then after you say your vows and you're married, you take it off and you put it on the right hand. But as long as you have it on the left hand, everyone knows that you are committed. There is something happened. And you have made a choice in where you're going. And what God has said, as he comes into our life, he actually does, if I can get it off, he puts his Holy Spirit in us like it's an engagement ring. It's a promise of the promises of God to come for eternity. And he claims us as his. And Paul is saying that same spirit lives in each of us. And that spirit leads us. And as we walk with God, it is this choice that we make. This, as Paul described it, we set our minds. We make these choices intellectually, with our will, and with the very depth of who we are. And we say, I no longer will go there. I will go here, following God. And I don't know how it works in your life. I do not find that easy. I find it good. I particularly struggle with forgiving people. And I remember, we're going to have communion in just a moment, where it gets in the new covenant and God says, I will remember your sins no more. I had this brother who just agitated me to no end. And I remember where we lived in Vienna, walking out behind the house under a tree, and I literally had to shout out to God, I choose not to remember. And you know what I did? It happened in my heart. All of those things I was hanging on to that I thought justified my reason for not forgiving, they had to dissipate and go. And it was a choice. Do I hold on to them? Or do I allow God to do what only God can do? And God did. You see, we grow as we walk with him, as we make those choices. And just remember as we close that record in Genesis 24. It's just like God is that servant who has come and he's placed his spirit to lead us day by day until we are in his presence. May I just ask you the question? Are you consciously aware that God has placed his spirit in you and that he is living in you today? Because if you do, there is no condemnation anymore. Isn't that good? And we can go in faith. Let's pray and then we will celebrate communion together. Father, thank you again for this time together. We worship you, we thank you, we praise you. And Lord, I want to thank you that as you have given us this way of coming to you and sharing eternal life, that you don't just put a little stamp on our back, you don't just give us a Christian passport, but you, through the person of your Holy Spirit, come and actually live in us. And some of us, Lord, we're different personalities. Of course, you know that. 
And you know what really is important and how we function. But I pray for each one present today. Might we be consciously aware of your presence. And may the strength of God, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, give each one of us the ability today to say no to that control of self. And yes, through the control and the leading and the guiding and indwelling of God's person in his Holy Spirit. We worship you and we thank you now in Jesus' name.